0: Who is Hansi Nacht? If you are like the other human animals, your social brain follows the logic of rhetoric, set out so many centuries ago by Aristotle. This means that for you to be affected by the rational arguments of this book, the logos, indeed, for you to all be capable of taking into account what I am saying, your emotions must be engaged. Pathos. And, which is the point here, you must also have a relationship to me, the writer, my ethos. And within that realm, you probably want to know three things. 1. If I'm sticking to reality, or if there are serious delusions present. 2. If I'm morally good or evil, if I am on your side. And 3. If I'm intelligent, potent, competent if my words really do matter. So who is this? The great Hansi Freinacht. The contender who dares to even try to tell us about the next major ideology to outcompete and replace liberal democracy and capitalism. Much of the answer depends on you, dear reader. With with which voice are you sub these words? If you think of... This needs the Lion King. Is my voice, voice heard as the blooming, reliable and good-hearted Lion King himself? Or is it the squeaking, mean and rebellious voice of those strange Nazi, Nazi hyenas, greedily waiting for their turn to grab the meat? Or am I, perhaps, malicious, composed voice of the king's conspiring brother? Is it the insolent breath the age master, or the enlightened academic that you hear. I am a social scientist and political philosopher with a background in sociolo- soci- sociology. Within academia, I have particularly been interested in criminolo- criminological issues, such as field studies of the police force and the role of entity within the Judicial system. My main mentor has been an eccentric but fascinating but psychologist mathematician at Harvard University called Michael Lamford Commons, the origin- or originator of the model of hierarchical complexity, MHC. The MHE is a potent psychological theory that we will discuss in this book, chapters eight and nine. The genius the genius of common's work and its profound like, applicability to so many issues in nature, science and society saturate large part of the ideas presented here. On a more personal note I can say this. During most of my adult life, I have been followed by a sense of tragedy, a subtle but but pervasive sadness that seems to lie in the background, mellow, solemn, still. Everyday events and encounters usually don't connect to it. I will be optimistic. And upbeat or casual, but it seems central to me in life goals, aspirations and choices. I believe that this sense is shared by many people. When I bring it up or allude it to or allude to it, I often notice that the gaze of the other person freezes for a moment. How your eyes soften a bit. Perhaps there is a sense of recognition. The sadness may be rooted in my personal life experience, in the not very unusual contradictions and adversities that I have lived by. Coming of age was for me a deeper, fundamental anxiety that came with it. It was a long, painful, existential and, I dare to say, spiritual journey. And in that process, I paradoxically found what appears to be a sustainable source of happiness and meaning. The aching heart itself became the main engine of my my life's work. In its mature form, that solemn sadness extended, it became a sense of tragedy of the world, of the suffering of others, and perhaps even more, an awareness of beauty lost, of potentials that never materialized. This is a rather cerebral book, an intellectual work. I argue about ideas and concepts in order to state my case and to develop the perspective that I want to share with you. But, my friend, do know, do know that I write this from a subtle longing of the heart. I wish to find path for society to be genuinely better, as a felt experience for real human beings and other uh, animals I have come to believe that such paths do not only not only do exist but uh, that they are increasingly at a competitive advantage to the forms of politics and economy that we know today that they make sense I also believe that these paths go through you the reader but the road is both difficult and dangerous, which I will return to to throughout this book and the next. Maybe I am mistaken about such paths existing, but at least I want to share these thoughts with you and see where it leads. I can only hope that someone somewhere listens and understands. And, according to my emotional and intellectual capabilities, I will listen to you as well. Writing this book, I live alone in a house in the French-speaking part of the Swiss Alps. I am borrowing it from a wealthy man and his family. I believe he is a billionaire, but I didn't ask. This man is a self-made ex-banker, a physicist and a philosoph- philosophical explorer who for some time has been a supporter of my ideas nowadays i call him a good friend it is true that i live away from family friends and lovers but every word of this book is written in quiet peace of looking a majestic mountain top soft green populated valleys and a complex horizon of rugged cliffs that cut against the most often light blue skies. The house is large and wooden, a so-called chalet with a very tall window, letting the view and the light. I don't meet people for weeks and months to end. I keep a tight schedule, three hours of meditation per day, one hour of physical exercise, half a day's study and half a day's writing. I eat vegan with much nuts and berries, and take B twelve and Omega 3 supplements. Sometimes I walk in the mountains alone, daydreaming for speaking or speaking passages of the book out loud to myself. Living here I usually don't even think about family life. Hot man, sex with students, weed or LX- LSD except as societal concerns. The house also has a sauna and a big jacuzzi, by, the, by a window, by a wide window with a mountain view. In the bubble bath, only the buzzing flies keep me company, and the philosophers, and the ideas, and the determined struggle for a deep, effective change in society. So, is Hansi good or bad? I am not quite sure. Sometimes people call Hansi Freinach a gambler, playing with his own life, with two dangerous ideas with the future of society. Others go as far as calling me a charlatan, an impostor or a poser, an intellectual con artist. I ask two great questions, speak with too great certainty, express myself much too vividly and seductively about two grand issues. Surely I can be up to no good. I don't pretend to promise you you only good intentions, but it is my unshakable conviction that in risky times it takes a gambler to place the highest and safest bets. And in the most confused of discourses, only a charlatan can speak the truth. Readers of bronze, silver silver and gold. It is also my conviction that this book, if if its ideas spread, will cause deep suffering and confusion with a lot of kind, kind and intelligent people in so many so delicate and devious ways. Perhaps I am flattering myself that such an impact could be made by my writings. But after all, I suppose, writing is never a humble thing to do. Taking up monologue for hours on end, speaking, speaking with no interruption or reply. And when you speak about society, especially with analytical rigor, rigor, you sometimes hurt people. Presumptions or, or not, I believe that is a correct assessment of this text. Yet... It is without a shred of moral doubt that I go ahead to write and publish. A true writer on important topics can hold no illusions of intellectual and social innocence. Thoughts and perspectives are so important that they are worth every bit of the harm caused to others. The harm caused caused has to do with development. Developmental psychology as we shall discuss further further in the chapters of the second part of this book writing this book is something of a vulgar act like showing two sexually explicit images to a small child some or most people are just not ready to receive the messages herein neither are most societies social groups or settings but It is not the young who are most threatened by my perspectives. It's not their minds that are scandalized. My ideal reader is about 10 years old. She is talented, but doesn't fit in that well at school. She doesn't always do what parents and teachers tell her. And she lives and breathes in a digital age. When she grows up, she will be an idealistic and questioning And she will sense that something is profoundly wrong with society. When she enters university or otherwise develops a worldview of her own, she will find that the education offered, the answers of of parents, teachers, media and leaders are all lacking. They somehow miss the point. They don't see her reality, the new reality. And then there is Hansi Freinacht who puts words to her experience, who connects the dots. She looks into the mirror and realizes that she is the creator of an entirely new society. Another source of harm is the inv- inevitable misuse of the perspectives. Philosophers, sociolo- sociolo- sociologists and economists, even physicists and Mystics have all been misinterpreted. Their works perverted and misused. They have thereby caused direct or indirect harm and confusion. So will no no doubt the political metamodernism suggested in these pages. And as with the work of all thinkers... My work, if it catches on, is destined to be positive in some ways and harmful in others. That's just the dialectal nature of life. On a more personal and intimate level, people put up psychological barriers to protect themselves from the pain of sharp ideas that challenge their convictions and emotional investments. The most common defense mechanism is of course... To simply put down the book. oh, The most common defense mechanism is of course to simply put down the book, ignore it and forget about it. Other options available are ri- ridicule, semi-deliberate misunderstandings of its message or picking out a detail to argue against while forgetting the big picture or why not sub with that mean. Hyena voice again. I welcome you to use all of these strategies. Over the years I've seen so much pain associated with wrestling the metamodern perspective. People get obsessed. They resist. They rage. They condemn. They belittle. They self-censor and find reasons to feel terribly affronted. I acknowledge that this is because my theories deeply insult prevailing moral intuitions that people have. I spit straight in the face of their political identities, both on the left and the right, from anarchists to conservatives. It is solemn duty of the philosopher to piss on all that you hold dear and sacred, to show you that your gods are false. And how could it be any different? To genuinely develop society, you must Forward, forward, challenging ideas. Ideas that reveal today's society, even our most idealistic, progressive, progressive, as an ethical, unkind, primitive, hypocritical, and judgmental. The best is an enemy of the good, as Voltaire wrote. I am attacking your time, your society, and your way of life. If the book is too much for you, you are under no obligation to finish it or to learn and understand its core ideas. And, of course, I welcome you as an intellectual and spiritual adversary. To the the dialectically inclined political philosopher, followers are made of bronze, informed critics of silver and spiritual adversaries of molten gold. Uninformed critics, however, are only the dirt on my boots and rolled-up sleeves. And then there is a fair share of fool's gold, too, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But most of all, I'm looking for resourceful and imaginative co-creators. People from whom the whole social hierarchy, I am better than Hansi or Am I better than Hansi or vice versa? And good or bad issues matter less. These are people who know when to follow, when to criticize, and when to revolt and take lead. They are children who love to play. They don't care about academic titles or bourgeois success or whether you stick to the writing rules of their favorite literary, literary genre. They recognize the tune I am playing, join in the dance and playfully recreate society and reality. All said and done, remember that you are in charge, not me. I am just dead letters on a piece of paper on a screen, or a screen, or a podcast. (laughs) You are co-creating this by reading. You can cut me up, rearrange me, quote me, ignore me, interpret me And put pieces of me into places I couldn't dream of. The reader, not the writer, has the power. So welcome, co-creator. I am at your mercy. As a certain Zarathustra spake. Quote. Companions the creator seeks. not Not corpses. Not herds and believers. Fellow creators the Creator seeks, those who write new values on new tablets, companions, the Creator seeks, and fellow harvesters, for everything about Him is ripe for the harvest. Introduction What we must achieve What do we need to achieve with this book? You are to learn about a political and s- social theory, which, if enough people understand it, can can and will dramatically improve the lives of coming generations and spare humanity and all animals from oce- from oceans are suffering degradation. that is what I contend, and what you are reading is nothing else than a warrior's go to changing the world something. We are in dire need of, given the vast challenges ahead. And the worlds of mice and men are political worlds. Politics means games for power. Power matters in all aspects of life. Who makes the goals? Who is considered morally pure and sexy? Who gets to be smart and respectable? Or to be the cool romantic rebel? who gets to be kind wise who gets to be the kind wise woman and who gets to be the boring old hag who gets the guards stacked against them in a fight they cannot win what ideas rule the world and creep deep into our minds and dreams constituting and structuring everyday reality these my friend are the questions of politics in its true sense so Metamodern politics is the issue of the hour. What does that mean? Let us begin by asking you a few questions. Now, I want to reveal, reveal to you your own ignorance. I understand that this may be a harsh slap to your pretty little face. Not at all a nice thing to do. But Hansi Freinacht is not nice. He is right. And that is something else entirely. Now I am staring you straight in the eye and slowly asking you the first question what is human development? Second question what is the development of society? Third question what is freedom? The less intellectually gifted readers are by now conjuring up ways to get out of the strange hold. Quote, Who says there is such a thing as human development at all? I, for one, am so humble and appreciative of others, especially children, cute animals, and indigenous indigenous cultures, that I don't at all care about development. And who says freedom is so important in the first place? I mean... A good person like myself lives for dignity and the duty to serve others, not to run around trying to be free, whatever that means. The The problem with this response is that you are taking yourself much too seriously, and the real, the very real suffering of other humans and animals much too lightly. Let me demonstrate. Let's say you are so intellectually open and morally evolved that you don't care about human development. Then you don't mind your own own kids being starved. Her body growth stunted. Her brain development impaired and her mind and emotions scarred for life. I mean because after all Who are you to make that value judgment about human development? Maybe your stunted life is better. Bingo. Oh, and you are so humble that you don't think societies develop. They just change. And you can't say which one is better. So now I am going to make you a slave at my colony. A cotton plantation. You will live in poverty and have your family killed if you resist. What is that? You don't think that is barbaric? Wait a minute. I thought you were above such petty developmental models of social reality. Hmm. I don't particularly like you. Implying that today's society is more developed than, 18th, than the 18th century America. The arrogance... And by the way, you are to live in North Korea and have a death penalty commitment to muster all emotions. You can be deeply in love with Kim Jong-un for the rest of your life. And remember, he sees you when you are sleeping. Because after all, what is freedom? I mean, how dare you to try and tell me that loving the supreme leader is not freedom in its most sublime expression? Just look at those cheeks and that uniform and that hairdo. How dare you? So, if this was your reaction, you are intellectually and emotionally fooling yourself. Something we shall get back to. You absolutely do care about these things. And it is intellectually and morally indefensible not to... Even if you may have good reasons to prefer other words than freedom and development. In fact, you care about them quite passionately. And you are probably more willing to die for them than any patriot ever was for his nation. Any revolutionary for their cause. For her cause. More intellectually honest and emotionally mature readers are instead trying to actually answer the questions. Uh, You mean like just now? On the top of my head, just like that, yes. Just now, on the top of your head. I mean like this. What is the capital of France? Paris. How many fingers do you have? Ten, probably. What is freedom? Some of you may have partial answers, but I think it's safe to admit that you don't have very clear details, detailed or satisfying ones. Responding to these questions doesn't come very naturally, even if you are an academic with a PhD in philosophy. Think about it. We have these three things we care so passionately about it that we would maybe even give our lives for them. And yet... You don't know what the hell you are talking about. In this book and its sequel, Cures You of the ailment. After having read this book, you will have much more advanced insight to psychological and societal developments. In the next book, you will also gain a clear and original understanding of elemental political concepts, such as freedom and equality. You will actually know What you were talking about. Unless of course. Your mind starts playing Jedi tricks. On you again. And and you revert to your. Intellectual dishonesty. By avoiding understanding. Fundamentally. You will be cured. Of those very serious kinds. Of intellectual. Of two very serious kinds. Of intellectual blindness. One. Developmental blindness meaning that you consistently fail to see the developmental stages of human beings, animals, and societies. 2. Inner dimensions blindness, meaning that you consistently fail to take into account the subjective dimensions of life and how they fundamentally shape society and reality. There are other forms of blindness, Blindness that are somehow touched upon in this book But these are two of the most central ones Unfortunately, such blindness is very prevalent in today's society Prevalent in today's society And is no less in the scientific communities Beyond that This book offers a rather unique perspective on life, society and existence. Useful in all walks of life. This book and the next. So there's a rough sketch of the book. So here is a rough sketch of the book. After this introductory chapter, the book unfolds in two major parts. The first part explains the basics of metamodern politics. You have one chapter describing how the whole political spectrum has changed and why, and the other chapter that presents the great crisis revolution that is our contemporary period. A A third chapter discusses some examples of what the listening society is, and the following chapter discusses how and why it is possible in practice. The fifth chapter presents new political practices, such as how the process-oriented political party works, and the sixth, final one discusses the metamodern political philosophy. The second part describes what human psychological development is. It has eleven chapters, one introduces the topic and all the following ones Discusses vital aspects of what is what it means for human be, for a human being to develop. Two chapters are devoted, are devoted. To smarts. Two to learning, two to well being, two to wisdom, and two, to putting it all together into what I call the theory of effective value memes. Again and again I found that before people understand this part why development matters everything else I teach about metabolic politics seems to magically seems to magically evaporate it just won't stick no matter how smart or educated the audience I've tried with a room full of Harvard professors they were lawyers and psychiatrists but not not to avail the most trivial metamodern insights seems to be completely incomprehensible, however once people come out of their developmental blindness, the rest seems to come quite naturally. But does that mean that we have to study stages of how developed different adults humans are? Yes, that is exactly what it means. Then there's one last chapter that takes stock of the whole book. In Nordic Ideology, we discussed how society as a whole develops through stages. We will also present six new forms of politics that are necessary to create a metamodern society. How metamodernism beats the existing ideologies, socialism, liberalism, etc. And how it relates to the dangerous dreams of the 20th century. The utopian and totalitarian movements like communism, fascism and new age. Only this time, totali- totalitarianism, despite what our historical experience tells us, is not an ambiguously evil long story. These are dangerous books, admittedly, but I believe they are necessary, given that we live in what can reasonably reasonably be described as, as interesting times. To sum it up, you could say that this book will change your life, and the next book will change the world. Or actually, you will, once you've read both of them.